Welcome to Voices of Nature. I'm Bob Ludke, an advisor to Global Conservation Corps and the creator of the Voices of Nature podcast. We're using this podcast to showcase the amazing work of people who have dedicated their lives to living and working in some of the most challenging places in the world. Our guest today is doing just that. He is Anton Mazimba, a ranger at the Timbavadi Private Game Reserve. Timbavadi is located in Northeast South Africa near Kruger National Park. Anton has been a close collaborator with Global Conservation Corps, inspiring all of us with his passion, his always present smile, enthusiasm, and his dedication to protecting nature. In this episode, Anton takes us into the life of a ranger. He talks about what it is like to stand up to poachers and the enormous cost rangers like him must bear in doing so. We also learn about the communities near Timbavati and how all of us have a role in helping them become more prosperous for their residents. Finally, we talk about why it is so important that we protect animals such as rhinos, lions, and elephants from extinction. It is not just so Westerners can come take pictures. Anton, welcome to the Voices of Nature podcast. We are thrilled to have you. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. And thanks for everyone who could be listening to this audio. I'm very privileged to be interviewed and thank you for having me. Anton, you just, you have such a wonderful story and and being a ranger is just is so important to the global efforts to protect conservation and the ecosystems that we all live in and the the animals that we so loved to see and, and watch move through nature tell us a little bit about your background and, and why you decided to become a ranger and devote your life to being a ranger thanks bob um the reason why i decided to become a ranger uh, it's quite difficult for me to explain. So I think this, like, it was like a talent that I was born with. So to start off by saying that uh, in my childhood, I used to see soldiers, you know, well-dressed in uniform, you know, carrying a firearm. They were proudly, you know, drilling and, you know, all these kind of things that the soldiers do. So as I was growing up, I had that dream that one day I want to, be like these men and women in uniform. And everything they did was like having that passion to do such things. They were full of energy. They were very proud of whatever they were doing, exercising and all those things. So for me, it developed, you know, slowly, gradually as I was growing up. Unfortunately, I didn't get to become a soldier, but I'm glad that today my duty is more or less the same like the soldiers do. However, this is a profession that is quite unique, you know, and it's different from other professions. I want to elaborate on that, that protecting and conserving wildlife, it's something that for me as a Christian, when I read Genesis chapter 1, Verses 28, 29. Lord or God pronounced that we men are given powers to rule the land. We have to take care of the animals, the fish in the sea, and the birds on the sky. So, this is the thing that makes this profession for me a, a special one because God pronounced it. He gave us the mandate 
to take care of wildlife, to protect, to conserve the fish and the birds. So I, I didn't actually embark on the process of being a, a soldier, but I'm happy that what I'm going today, I'm carrying a, a rifle. I'm defending the natural resources from those who want to loot it. Um, I'm protecting lives of people, lives of animals. I'm protecting the plants. So all the creatures I'm protecting. So on the other hand, I'm also a soldier because the duty of a soldier is to protect the country and its habitat. So I'm also doing the same by protecting the wildlife, the plants and everything. So um, to go a little bit further about the life of a ranger, I don't know if I may stop there, uh, uh, Bob, before you come up with another uh, question. No, Anton, that's a, that's a, I was just going to ask you, take us into the, what it's like to be a ranger. What's the life of a ranger like? Yeah, being a field ranger, it's a quite difficult profession. It needs a heart. It needs a passion. To those who don't have passion for being a field ranger, a field ranger is a calling. So if you want to be a ranger, but by nature you don't have that calling, you might over time collapse. You're not going to be able to go forward. So it has to do with a passion, with a calling. So however, being a ranger, it's a risky profession. We face a lot of danger in the field and in the community. You know, life loss can happen at any time. We also, despite working under, you know, dangerous game environment, we also uh, meet or encounter armed poachers who come to poach animals like a, a rhino for, for their horns. These guys are very dangerous, are very dangerous. When we, we, you meet them in the field, they are going to shoot you dead. They are going to kill you. So our level of alertness is very high at all times, day and night. Our profession has no time, time in and out. It's not there. Yes, the, the policy or the contract you will sign, it will say that you work from this time to this time. But in essence, you work 24-7, day and night. If the duty calls, you have to respond. You have to go there. No matter what time of the day it is, the weather looks like you, you don't have to look at those things. The only thing is that you have to respond. So also from the communities that we come from as field rangers. We are not living in isolation. We, we have people where we come from. We have got families, we have got friends, we have got relatives. You know, we tend to divide the community in two or three groups of community members. Some members are going to consider and see field rangers as good people who serve a good purpose. But for some, we are perceived as people who are stopping them. We are denying the community members to access the natural resources. I'm talking about the game meat. I'm talking about firewood, grass. It can be soil, like um, uh, extracting sands in the river. So because we enforce the law that no one should 
harvest or collect or kill animal without a permit. We are seen by that group of community members as people who are from the protected areas. And there's another group that says, yeah, but these guys are, are doing a good job. And also a third group says it's neutral, actually. The third group is neutral. They will say, okay, ah, we have no say whether these guys are serving a good purpose or they are bad, we don't worry. Whether the animals are being killed by poachers or whatever, they don't worry about anything. So for them, anything is not a problem to them. So this is the third group. But now we are dealing with those commit members that think we are the problem because we stop them from uh, harvesting or collecting firewood or anything that they want from the protected areas. So we are perceived as bad people and they will do whatever it takes for them to harm us so that we lose power, we lose that passion for conservation because they will like attacking us emotional, like saying bad names and some will attack us if ever like under hot pursuit, uh, a poacher is running into community land. We have to chase them and arrest them there. We are also attacked by the community members because they think what we are doing is wrong, it's totally wrong, and they want to fight back. So this is kind of the danger of being a field ranger. And also, being a field ranger, it means that you have to stay for longer periods out of your comfort zone and also away from your family for quite some long time. Being a field ranger, it means that you have to set boundaries within yourself, within your heart. You have to decide that, okay, so and so place, I shouldn't go because I've got lots of enemy there. They are going to attack me. So you become more like isolated from the community member. How, although you, you, you live there, but you feel like you are living in an island, in an isolation, because whoever looks at you, you don't know what they see, you know, when they look at you. So always we think like we are being disregarded by our own community members by, because of the job, the profession that we're doing. So this also, emotionally, it hurts us a lot. Despite the attacks that they may physically do to us, but also it's associated with emotional, because sometimes you feel like you're not allowed. You are not supposed to be there. And you feel like, no, people dislike me. And if that keeps creeping in your mind, you as time goes on, tend to lose that passion. And by doing so, you know, people start behaving strange at their workplaces and all those things. Sometimes people get fired because of uh, misbehavior, but that misbehavior may be uh, as a result of what people or field ranger is facing out there in the community. And also there's intimidation, you know, whereby syndicate group members will call you, once they get your cell phone number, they will call you and say, yeah, we know that you are always after us. We are going to get you wherever we're gonna get you. They may mention a place where they think you mostly frequent that place. They will say, that we're gonna find you in town. We will show you. So that thing, they're harming you emotionally 
and if you work, you do your patrols and all those things, you start like losing concentration of what you're doing because at the back of your mind, there is that intimidation that keeps on going. They keep on calling you and calling you names and telling you that they are going to kill you and all those things. So this is what being a field ranger means. This was so powerful. I want to really understand this. How do you deal with that intimidation? I mean, what do you do in your head to ensure that tomorrow you get out of bed and you go back out and you do your job just like you did today and all the days before? To overcome this, it takes a, a strong man with a strong heart, like we, most of us field rangers worldwide, do in order for us to keep going. Firstly, being a field ranger is a calling. That means that you're not going to abandon this profession, this job. You're not, you're not going to abandon it. Despite all the intimidation from the group, you know, syndicate group members, from the community members, sometimes from the friends. You know, what keeps us going, what keeps me going in this situation is that I know from my heart that what I'm doing, I'm not doing for my own sake. I'm doing this for the world. I'm doing this for my children's children. That one day when I hang my boots, when I retire, when I die, they are going to enjoy the wildlife and its products and everything. And also, I've got my family who always support me. So this has to do with also the family members that you live with. They always have to lend that hand to support you all the time. When they see like you are down that day or that night, they, they have to bring some kind of comfort that you feel at home and feel like loved. So if you see love from your own home, your own house, then your mind will go out like, but fine, I get love, the love that I want from my family. That warmth from my family, I get it. And I have no problem, whatever they say to me, whatever they do, but I know that my family loves me. Then that keeps us going. And for our case here, for my case here in the Timbabati, we've got landowners. We have got people who we work with. They also give us that support. They know how hard it is to be a field ranger. We, the operations that we conduct, they are always dangerous to, to us. But we keep going because we feel that, like locally, nationally, and internationally, we get support. We know that there is men and women out there behind the scene, who always support what we're doing. You know, we, we have got GCC uh, bringing people who always admire what we're doing. So this is what keeps us going as a field rangers, because otherwise, if we don't get that support, we want support, you know, a, a word of mouth, it's, it's enough for us. Something tangible is also enough for us. Uh, what we need, it's that we want to know that we are loved. We are being appreciated, not only for people we work for, but also for people coming from overseas, from everywhere in the world. They, they appreciate what we're doing. So this is kind of small things that keeps us going. 
But the bottom line is that the passion, the calling that we have for wildlife conservation, it's what keeps us going. And we know for sure that what we're doing is not like, it's a good thing, not for only one person. It's for the humanity, it's for the human race, what we're doing. That's beautiful. Yeah, it really, really is beautiful. I want to return, we'll go back to, you know, what life is like as a ranger. But first, paint us a picture of where you work, the Timbavadi Private Game Reserve. It's in a very remote part of South Africa. Uh, talk to us about the that habitat. Talk to us about the communities in and around the, the parks in which you work. Poaching isn't done for fun. I mean, there there are reasons why poachers are able to thrive, and there are reasons why you have to come face-to-face so many times with people hostile to your work in your communities. There's a there's a, a, a lot of connections taking place here. So first, talk to us about the, the world in which you work, and then talk to us about the community in which you live. Thanks, Bob. Um, I would start off by saying that South Africa, it's just south of the uh, African continent. And my reserve, Timbabad Private Nature Reserve, it's in the Limpopo province, which is the northern province of the South Africa. And Timbabati is relatively at the center of Kruger National Park, on the western boundary of Kruger Park. We have got, in, in our eastern boundary, Kruger National Park. And the area here, Timbabati Private Nature Reserve, is comprised of about 19 you know, lodges, ranging from self-catering to five-star lodges. You know, we have got dangerous game, which we call Big Five. We also have plains game like zebra and other animals. When it comes to community that surrounds the reserve, we have that good relationship that was built over years up until today by showing them that the protected areas are not there for greedy white people or whatsoever. Uh, protected areas are there to protect and conserve wildlife so that we can keep this uh, species alive. Because our lives somehow are attached with wildlife. If one day we get rid of wildlife and then in the end, we are going to be the last to go into extinction. So Timbawati has over many years tried to implement a program called Outreach program where they go out and then identify problems in the communities that surround the reserve. And also the employment wise, the first priority is given to local community members if ever there is any vacancies on the protected areas. Because doing so, we, we like uh, building that relationship because friendship with communities that live around the protected areas. We are planning to fail or we are failing, I mean, uh, failing to plan because conservation activities cannot see any success if we don't get support from local communities. So we need the community to keep the protected areas alive and eat wildlife. Otherwise, we are failing. We are going to fail. So as a reserve, what the reserve is doing now is to have that in place. So once we have those ones in place, then we know that that friendship is going to make the conservation 
industry flourish? Uh, I don't know if I did uh, answer your question correctly, um, Bob. You did. What I would like to you to talk a little bit more about is the the community in which you live, in the communities in and around Kruger National Park, and you know some of the communities face really really serious challenges that, to be honest, help drive the poaching industry. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, challenges are there. Challenges are there. What happens is that poverty is the main reason for poaching. It's the main reason for any other wrongdoing that the community members are doing. It's poverty. So poverty followed by overpopulation. I shouldn't actually rule out the issue of overpopulation also. Yes, protected areas are in and around Kruger National Park are trying by all means to provide employment to locals, local communities. But they are not actually coping with the number of unemployment or the rate of unemployment that it is faced by the communities around the in and around the Kruger National Park and the protected areas associated with it. So this is one of the problems that we know from the community where we live, where we come from, where I come from, yes, there is poverty. It happens that certain family has nothing to eat that for that night. There's nothing for them to eat. Then what should they do? It's for them to find a living, a way of living, whether it's a good thing to do or not. But what they are doing, people, is to look for a living, for something to eat. They will do whatever it takes for them to get something to eat. And because the only place they... um neighboring is the protected areas and there is wildlife, there is rhino that sought after by poachers and all those things. You know, poachers um, belong to this industry that has got lots of money. It's a multi-million dollar whatever industry. It's a black market that has lots of money. Then the, the recruitment goes to those vulnerable. You know, they will drive around the community land a place they identify young people who are unemployed, who have no any kind of documents that, you know, I'm talking about certificates, you know, after completion of or qualification or something like that. Some of them are cattle headers. They have nothing. They are very, very, very poor. Just finding something to eat, it's a mission. It's a problem. And Poachers, syndicate poachers are going to go for those ones. They are very vulnerable. They will promise small money for a rhino, for a rhino horn. And because there is nothing to eat, they are going to embark on the process of going out and kill a rhino. And they are promised maybe 1,000 or 5,000 randu at the highest. And they are paid for that. And they see, look at 5,000 rand as big money. And the, 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 the poachers will go. And that's where they become poachers. So they become poachers because of the act that they are doing, which is poaching. And they also, you know, named after that, they are poachers. But in the end, they are not actual poachers. There are people who cannot make a living in any way. They are very vulnerable. Poverty, it's rooming, you see. So this is one big challenge that from my own perception, and thinking, I don't know when and how 
can the international society or nationally the country can do to overcome this? Because it's like increasing daily. Unemployment rate is increasing daily and it affects everyone. So when we get poachers coming in, it's because of poverty and the reserves or protected areas are, are losing their rhinos, they're losing, are losing animals because of poverty that it's out there in the village. So whatever it takes, the burden that the community members are having, it's at the later stage transferred into the protected areas. Whatever they are feeling that side, we are also feeling here in the protected areas because they are going to resort in coming to the reserve and take anything that they can. So that is the link that exists between the poverty in the community land and the problems that protected areas are facing. So thanks, Bob. I don't know if I did um, link that properly. I may go mm -hmm. ahead you know, when yeah, you leave me. Yeah. Thank you, Anton. What you mentioned a few minutes ago, the big five. And those are five uh, very, very special animals. Um, there's a reason they're called the big five. You named one of them the rhino. Tell, yeah. tell us a bit about the, the big five and tell us why they are, they're so important, right? I mean, those of us from the West, we love to come to Africa and we love to look at the big five, and take pictures of them. And, but they are so important to the, the habitats in which they live. So explain to us the big five and explain to us why it is so important that we actually protect them and protect their ability to, to grow as a population rather than always be under threat from poaching and, and other threats they face in the bush. I did mention about the big five animals. So we are talking about you know elephant, we are talking about lion, we are talking about leopard, you know, buffalo, rhino. You know, so these are called, I mean, uh, uh, big five because these are the animals that attract, despite of being dangerous to humans, because they can kill these animals, are very dangerous. Despite that, they are a flagship for, for the country. They bring, they have this attraction that attracts clients coming from all over the world to come and see them. So by doing so, they help grow the South African economy because when the client comes, when the visitors come from, from overseas, they pay money to fly into South Africa. They pay money in the airports. They pay money in the hotels where they get accommodated. They pay money at the, the entry fees in the, in the gates. They pay lots of money when they come here. So that helps grow South African economy. And having these big five animals, the money, it's like arranged in a way, like I would say, nationally and also locally or regionally. Because that money, when they pay at the lodge, the, the lodge in turn will pay its employees. And the employees are coming from local communities. So this is the link. Local communities, they are going to buy, suppose that they, they are going to buy food at the shops. And the shops are also ordering food from you know, wholesalers, maybe in Johannesburg. So that money 
keeps circling, circling around the communities and we, we get that money to, to do whatever we want to do. So having these flagship animals, the game, a big five animals, it's so, so important that we have to protect them because if one day we leave them sleep in the cracks, we are going to lose the money that we get into tourism. So they create that tourism attraction because they are there. And we, we get money out of this. Photographing, you know, sometimes they do green hunt, which is just coloring animals and all those things, game drives. So having big five is very, very, very important. And having this big five, we need to have everything in place. We, we cannot remove one species and say, okay, we're gonna live because the lives of wildlife and human race, it's, it's linked. So we cannot live as humans only without wildlife and wildlife cannot also exist without human. So we are relying to each other here. So that's where the connection is. You know, poverty in the villages also carried into the uh, protected areas. But now with big five animals, we tend to get something for our local communities. You know, some protected areas go out and drill water for communities to get, you know, to drink and all those things. So this is the goodness of having the big five animals. It's so important to have these animals. So now take us, take us face to face with one of the big five. You, you have some amazing adventures. You see them. You interact with them all the time in the field. Tell us some stories. Yes, Bob. You know, this is out of my judgment that when God pronounced that we should take care of wildlife, he also, on the other hand, other hand told the animals to respect us. Big five animals are very strong, are very dangerous, but they have respect to humans. They respect us. So what is needed is to, is to respect the animal. Once you embark on a foot patrol or in a game drive, what you want is to respect the animals. So once you respect the animals, they will also respect you. However, there are instances that you didn't see the animal at a reasonable distance and you tend to surprise the animal. Some are going to freeze. Some are going to run some are going to chase you because they feel like you have invaded their comfort zone. So they want to fight back. But because of that respect that they, God gave the animals to respect us, we always survived these things. In my life, for 24 years in this profession, I once, once fired a warning shot, just once in my life. Once I fired a warning shot to an animal. It was a hippo. That's all. Actually, it was not a warning. I was actually shooting at it. But yeah, it you happens know, you once. Have to, Anton, you have to tell us about that. How, what caused you this one time to fire a shot at the hippo? So what happened, we, one day we were on patrol. So we, we came to this dam. The dam was like, I would say, maybe 40%, you know, the volume of, of water there. So the hippo was standing right inside the dam, at the center of the dam. So we normally call the dam as a detection zone where you, you know, the front, a dam is like a front page of a newspaper. When you go to a shop and you buy a newspaper, 
the front page for us is a dam. So that's where you read the lives of animals, you know, to know what happened to the animal. If there's any animal that is sick, it's, it's, it's you no know, mark dragging legs on the ground. You know, some animals will go to, a, to the water hole and they drink and they now they can't move. So that's where you see even coaches, you know, they will also go to, to, the, to the water hole to collect water there to drink or to cook. So that's where we, most of the things we, we read from, we get to know what's happening, you know, on the other side of the reserve by reading what's happening at the dam. So this time around, we were circling the dam to see the animals, what animals drank there that morning and all those. So I went over the dam wall and beyond it on the other side of the dam wall. So my friend was on the other side of the dam. So we're all moving from west to east. So all of a sudden, when I was still, you know, out of the side of my friend, I heard, you know, the water like sounding, you know, and I could read from the what I was hearing that the animal was now leaving the water. It was running from the center of the, the dam to go out. So I had to rush and climb on the dam wall to see what was happening to my colleague only to see that the hippo was now leaving the water and running on the dry land. And I just warned my colleague to run. I just shouted, run, and then he started running. But it was too late for him to run. And the animal caught him, so it injured him uh, yeah, deeply. So I had to shoot at the animal. So I shot it at it until it left him there. So, and then I called for, for an assistance and they eventually, you know, put the animal down. So my colleague survived. So it was a very bad experience that took me months to get rid of my, uh, get rid of it uh, from my mind. Because I always, when I slept, when I was sleeping, I was starting to see that film, what I saw that morning. It kept coming, you know, you know, during one night, it will come maybe two or three times, you know, whenever I'm sleeping, that thing was going to come. So, but in the end, I got, you know, assistance, you know, from the psychologist to come talk to me, you know, about all these things. And then I eventually got well after that. And also what accelerated the healing was that my colleague was saved, was alive. If he, he had died, it might have taken me more time to get healed. That is when I fired, you know, I shot at an animal. It was to save the life of my colleague. We always leave that comfort zone to, for them. We don't evade their comfort zone. So we respect them and they also respect us. And how do you feel when you either see the terrible work of the poachers or when you come face to face with the poachers? I mean. Do you have that same type of feeling that you just explained when you had to shoot at the animal to protect your friend? Yes. The difference, the only difference here is that the animal cannot plan as such. Only when the animal feels like it's been, the comfort zone has been violated or evaded, the animal cannot plan. But the danger of a poacher is that they, they can plan. They know that, okay, the Field rangers are going to walk past here. They can ambush you. When you get there, you are in a killing zone. They're going to shoot you dead. 
And that is the danger of facing, you know, a poacher. However, for many instances, I faced poachers, you know, daylight, you know, on a, on a, on a broad daylight and then during the night. So it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. As I said earlier that, you know, we always, the level of alertness, once we embark on a patrol, whether it's a day patrol or it's a night patrol, the level of alertness remains high. Immediately you embark on a patrol, you know your body and your instincts will tell you that now you are in a different environment. Take care of yourself. You know, something from back of your mind, it keeps telling you that be careful. Now you are in an outside of comfort zone. Take care of yourself. Snakes on the ground. Leopards on top of the trees. You know, buffalo behind the bushes. A leopard or, you know, lion. You know, sometimes you, you walk into a lioness with small cubs. You are in, immediately in a danger. Once you notice that you are in a danger. So the level of alertness remains high at all times. It's even more higher when you're now dealing with armed poachers. You know, because you may lose life, you know, anytime once in that situation. It's not a good uh, or nice scene or nice situation to be as a field ranger. But because of calling, we keep going, knowing that, you know, like you hear a gunshot, maybe at a close range, like two kilometers away, 1.5 kilometers or 800 meters, you know, at a very close range, you hear a gunshot a loud bang of a hunting rifle, a big caliber like 0.458, they, they are shooting. You, you have to get up and go to arrest an armed person who is busy killing a rhino for its horn. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to, it's not a good experience actually, but we keep going. Thanks, Bob. I don't know if I did answer your question. <laughs> you answered the question and much, much more. Thank you. So how can someone like me, who has only visited Africa, only lived in Africa for a year or so, or you know, other people in Europe or Asia, help people, the rangers like you, who are you know, putting their lives at risk every day to protect wildlife, to try and find that, you know, that, that balance in the communities. What can we do to, to play a role in, in helping safeguard not only the animals, but I think the habitats that they live in and, and help improve the communities around the, the places that you work? Poverty is the main issue, as I mentioned earlier. So for those who are like loving nature and wildlife, but they can't visit you know, South Africa or Timbavati or Kruger National Park, there's so many ways that they can help. As I said, that poverty in the community is also poverty in the protected areas. Like taking an example with my reserve. My reserve has no any means of funding coming from the government or sort of. The reserve itself has to generate an income to run the reserve, to buy new vehicles for patrols, for other operations, paying for in salaries, 
generally to keep the reserve going, it takes a lot of money and the reserve has to find ways to get that money. So now the burden is put upon the landowners. They have to pay a yearly living, what they call live, something like that. It's a big money that they are paying in order to run the reserve. So besides having you know, gate entry fees that the, the, the guests pay and at the lodges and all those things, there is no any source of income other than maybe hunting and hunting. It's, it's like not that much active anymore. And that was also a, a source of income. Like the Timbabadi budget is 60% of its budget that goes to security. So for those who are loving nature, but they can't actually come to patrol with us and everything, they can offer like supporting us by giving us materials to keep on, like, you know, vehicles for patrolling. If you donate some money to us, for us to buy a vehicle or a bicycle or anything that they, they may have to, to help us move forward with conservation in us. It, we will appreciate. That's what I think it could help a lot because there is no any source of income that we are getting from, you know, externally, like government or whatever, an institution. So we depend mainly on donations from people who are uh, nature lovers. So, and also for the communities living in and around the uh, protected areas, some some protected areas have built schools, they've been built uh, clinics, have been drilling boreholes for for the community to get water. There are so many things that you know people who are good-hearted can help with. Thanks, Bob. So one last question. In a way, I asked you this before, but I really want to get your your thoughts on this. And this is the the last question I ask everyone in this podcast, which is. You know, you, Anton, you see the challenges we face every day. You know, the challenges to wildlife, the poverty, the conflict between humans and nature, the conflict between humans. Despite all of that, there's still reason to be hopeful. And what what makes you hopeful? As I asked you before, what makes you every morning get out of bed and go into the field and do your job? Just want to starting off by saying that with this COVID-19, the reserve had to decrease our salaries because it had no more money left in their account to pay us. So they had to go the route of decreasing our salaries. Right now, as I speak, we have been, you know, taking a big no on our salaries. So the Again, what keeps us going? You know, it's it's a it's a whole lot of combination of difficulties that are put together and they make it a very big burden uh, burden to us. Salary decrease, you know, intimidation from you know our friends and our community members, poverty in the community uh, space, you know, all those things. We keep going because we want. Uh, to save the calling that we're here for. And we know that, yes, we do have support from all over the world. We're very sure about that. We also, I don't have proper ways to, to put 
is together. But I would love to say we we have that hope that one day things are gonna come back to normal. People are going to respect the wildlife. Because what makes it is a fine line that exists between the poachers and non-poacher. The poacher goes out and hunt or kill the animal without a permit. Meanwhile, another person who does the same has the permit. We do, you know, annual game census. We know how many buffers we have. If we are going to have takeoffs, we know how many buffers we are going to kill in order to get to generate money to, to run the reserve. But the poachers are like depleting the resources. There is that lacks control. If, if the whole community can go out into the reserve, they are going to kill all the animals that are there. They are going to harvest all the plants that are there. You see, so this needs a controlled thing. So, however, there is a big wall between the concept of people having to understand the importance of protected areas. We have to do it via education. You know, we need to create awareness for wildlife and all those things. But here is a problem. People want tangible things. You can't tell them that you must starve today because one day we're gonna employ or your, your son or whatever. People are not going to take that. They want tangible material. They want things you know, at hand. They want things today, not tomorrow, you see. So in order for a protected area to satisfy everyone, it's, for me, is definitely impossible. It's not gonna happen like that. But also educational wise, we are not going to win because education has to do with future things. They are not like acting today for today. It's like acting today for tomorrow. Because if you educate someone not to kill an animal, that is going to help in the long run. But for now, we need something to eat today. We, eat, we need something to eat. What are we going to do? So these protected areas alone cannot do anything. They can try, but they are not going to solve the problem. We need a national plan that will come from the government as to how to help the communities to live properly. Because it's only poverty that makes people to, to come to the reserve. You know, we have also laws that govern the game meat, that the game meat shouldn't go out to the villages. You know, the game meat, they, they zoned the areas. There's a zone that is called red line. Get that line into the community land, you see. So people want the game meat. Some community members are bothering the protected areas whereby they can even see the animals inside the reserve while they are sitting at their homes, at their houses. You know, they do watch animals moving like impala, giraffe, everything. They want the meat. Some are growing old now, 45, 50 years, they have never tested a game meat, but they are living with game. But the law say that they cannot get the meat to their place because it carries foot and mouth disease. So we're not gonna stop seeing people coming to poach, you no know, animal for me. There are, there's still 
you know, poachers coming just for game meat. They, they, are, they don't have to do anything with, with the rhino. Even if they see the rhino, they won't do anything because they don't even have a rifle. They, even if they had a rifle, they can't shoot the animal because they don't, know, they don't know how to shoot the animal to use the rifle. But now they are there with spears and pangas and dogs and snares to catch the animal. And once they catch the animal, they pull it out of the reserve. They sell half of, if it's, suppose that it's an impala carcass, they will half the impala carcass, they sell one part and then they keep another part. With the money that they are going to generate from the other part of the carcass, they are going to, part, to buy maize meal and they cook it, they eat as a family. You see. So they are feeding their family with animals. So that is illegally, but people keep doing because there's a force that drives them. It's a big drive, which is it's, it's a poverty. They have nothing to, they're unemployed. For many years, people have been living without employment, you know, and now they want to eat. You know, eating is, is, is a daily thing and people want to eat and they have nothing to, to do, I mean, to eat. So they will risk their lives to get something to eat. So this thing is interwoven, you know, we as protected areas can't do as much if we don't have support from government side. And also I, I'm just thinking that also the government is going to be difficult for, for, for it to actually uh, stop this thing. So it's something that we're gonna live with, but gradually if we can make effort to educate people, you know, trying to create employment, to do everything like now, we protected areas are sitting with a big burden. There's lots of retrenchment that took place after this COVID-19 have attacked the protected areas. So it's very difficult. I know of two lodges that have closed last week. They closed completely and they retrenched all their staff. So there's more unemployment growing up in the villages. And in turn, that is going to put more pressure to protected areas. It's a matter of time that you see big, you know, a large multitude just coming at once, pouring in the protected areas, trying to get whatever they can to eat, you see. So we, it's just a matter of time. Protected areas are going to face a very good ask for international community to do something about it. Otherwise, we are going to lose everything that we have fought for for many years. Thank you, Anton. Those last points about the need for better policy, better cooperation between the government and the people is maybe something we could talk about in a future podcast. I would love to, I would love to explore that further with you because you just have such, such an important perspective given your work in and around the, the communities. So, Anton, thank Thanks you so well. much for your time. Your, your insights have been truly wonderful and just both mind mind opening as well as eye opening and and I really appreciate your time so thank you it's a pleasure to say take care Anton thank you you too <laughs> Mama, 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 mama,